Hey y'all, it's time to take a brew break. I'm Keela from Keela D Sub Creation, sharing my favorite stories 11 points at a time. You can look forward to English major insights, fangirl freakouts, and biblical tidbits as I dive deep into fiction and nonfiction stories in any form. Now grab a brew and join me for Elevensies. James is my favorite book of the Bible. I think it's because I heard an amazing sermon series by writer and pastor Ben Stewart on it at summer camp in 2013, right after I graduated high school. Then in the summer of 2015, my college group did a study on Ben Stewart's book, This Changes Everything, which further explores James. And I just gleaned so much wisdom from these words during a very pivotal time in my life. For my birthday this year, Colton got me a really beautiful coffee table book of James that includes artwork, so I decided to do another read-through, and I noticed that James talks a lot about various identities that we as Christians should have. So today's episode is about 11 identities in the story of James that I think we should take to heart. But first, let's talk about today's 11z's drink. I am rocking a good old sweet tea, which is extra glorious because I have been trying to limit my caffeine intake due to caffeine addiction. It's a real thing. So this is the first sweet tea I've had in weeks. And it's from a chicken place here. It's pretty good. And uh, actually, I think I've proven myself with my credibility and authority on stories. I mean, I have two degrees in English and creative writing, and I'm a major nerd who has seen plenty of TV shows and movies um, to be able to talk about them, but I don't think I've proven my credibility on the brews that I'm always enjoying for 11Zs, so let me just give you this little tidbit. I was once hand-selected to be a judge for a blind taste test at my church, and this was after youth group, so I was in college. They brought me back to the youth group because everyone in my hometown was obsessed with sweet tea, specifically my youth pastor who basically lived at McAllister's and actually got me my job at McAllister's just because he was a customer who knew all the management. <laughs> they liked him so much. He was like, hey, one of my friends needs a job. <laughs> They're like, okay, great. <laughs> anyway, um, so we thought of sweet tea very highly. They brought back me as an expert on sweet tea who had done plenty of background research and um, a few other people to do a blind taste test of like McAllister's, Raisin Cane's, Chicken Express. I think McDonald's and Taco Villa got in there, which Taco Villa, y'all. If you're not from Lubbock, you don't understand the gloriousness that is Taco Villa. But so then we had to like rank which tea was best and... Ultimately, we picked a, a sneaky entrant into the competition, which was some guy's mom's homemade sweet tea. That was the winner, of course. I don't remember which restaurant actually won. I think I was outvoted and McDonald's ended up winning. But for me personally, I think of those, Chicken Express probably has the best just plain old sweet tea. There's something about a chicken place that just the sweet tea, chef's kiss. But, as you'll hear in an episode coming up in a couple weeks, since I did work at McAllister's, I did find the perfect concoction that you can make there, and that would beat any other drink I have previously listed. So, anyway, hope that gives you a little insight to my brew history, and that I know what I'm talking about. I am a Texan, I know my sweet tea, and I'm starting to learn my coffee and my beer. Over the pandemic, Colton and I really got into local beer, and so I'm refining my palate in other brews, but tea, I got covered. 
Anyway, (laughs) that's not what this episode is about. Let's get back to James and identity. This is something I really struggled with growing up. In elementary school and junior high, I identified myself by my interests. I was the bookworm, the band nerd. When I was bullied in high school, I started seeing my identity as what other people thought about me and said to me, which were not great things. In college, I struggled with being identified by my sin. But friends, this is not what God wants for us. Matthew West said it best. Hello, my name is child of the one true king. Because of Jesus, we have a perfect new identity that should define us and all that we say and do. So let's take a closer look at this through the identities of James. The first identity we know about James is that he is the brother of Jesus. And by that, we obviously mean half-brother. It's an important thing to note that Mary stayed a virgin until after Jesus was born through the Holy Spirit, but then she went on to have several more children with Joseph. Matthew 13.55 names James as a brother of Jesus, along with Joseph, Simon, Judas, and multiple sisters. Jesus was obviously the oldest, and since James is always mentioned first, we can assume he is the next oldest and therefore closest in age to Jesus. They were probably close growing up. They played together, they talked about the deep subjects. I myself have a half-brother and can tell you that we still whole love each other. They're family. But because they are family, because James saw Jesus through every stage of life through when he was 30 years old, You can imagine how he might be skeptical when Jesus says he's the son of God. Which brings us to identity number two, skeptic. Not an identity we may all love being labeled with, but this was true of James for a bit of his adult life. If we continue through that verse I mentioned in Matthew 13, the reason people are listing Jesus' brothers is because they can't believe this man is God. They know his parents and siblings. They saw him grow up. He's a normal human guy. In John 7, Jesus' brothers are straight up mocking him. Verse 3 through 4 says they told him to leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5 says, for even his own brothers did not believe him. They wanted him to leave, maybe because he was ruining the good family name they had built up. They were tired of him talking so much about being the Messiah. They poked fun at him, saying, if you're so big and great, go show everybody. Get out there and prove it. Luckily, James was convinced. By Acts 1.14, he was joining his mother and brothers constantly in prayer. Ben Stewart writes, and I agree, that the resurrection sealed the deal for James. He just couldn't wrap his mind around Jesus' message until it was right there before his eyes. Jesus was dead, but he came back to life. He couldn't argue with that. Now, we're about to move into the book of James for the rest of my points, but before I move on to the next identity, I want to point out James 1, 5 through 6, for all the skeptics still out there who didn't see the death and resurrection with their own eyes. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. James is saying it's okay to lack wisdom or knowledge. It's okay not to know everything. Ask questions because I promise you, God is the answer, and he will freely give that answer to anyone who asks any time they ask. But be careful, because God is the absolute capital T truth, and if you start doubting that, you will be tossed by the wind without a firm place to land. Okay, identity number three is what we get from James 1.1. Servant. Ben Stewart has a whole chapter about this verse because, wow, 
James went from brother to skeptic to servant. Notice how he didn't just go back to brother or friend of Jesus or follower of Jesus. He identifies himself to anyone who would ever read his words as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant is one who obeys. A servant is one who belongs to. A servant almost ceases to be an individual, but does anything and everything for the sake of the one they serve. Ben Stewart talks about how many writers before this said they were a servant of God. So James saying he was the servant of a person, much less his brother, was a big deal. Plus, he names Jesus as Christ and Lord, which means he viewed him as an anointed master deserving his worship and service. Now, the rest of James reads like an instruction manual, almost. He was well-respected for the advice and guidance he gave to fellow believers, so he decided to write some of his best teachings down and send them off to the wider church community. So the book of James is a collection of James' take on various topics for daily Christian living. Let's dive in and see what identities we can glean from it. Number four is joyful. James' very first nugget of advice in chapter 1, verse 2 is consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He doesn't say push through when you face trials or don't worry when you face trials or sit down and cry when you face trials. He says consider it joy, the exact opposite feeling we are inclined to feel during seasons of hardship. But he has come to understand through the teaching of Jesus and from his own life experience that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Romans 5.3 says we can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Y'all, we are going to go through hard times. We've already been through hard times and there will be more to come. That's just life. Jesus knew it. John 16.33 says, in this world, you will have trouble. James knew it. He had to watch his brother be wrongly murdered in the most violent way possible. But in the other half of John 16.33, Jesus says, but take heart for I have overcome the world. He said that right before he was arrested. Before he had risen from the dead, cleansing all of our sins, Jesus said he already had overcome the world. So we have every reason to celebrate. We should have joy in our hearts. At the very least, because going through hard times sharpens us to be stronger believers. But at the most, because no matter what happens to us in this life, Jesus won. Not Jesus will win in the end, but he already won. And we are invited to be on his side, the winning team. Identity 5 is good listener. James 1, 19-20 says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Wow, I just took note of the word human in that verse. Because God sure as heck does get angry. Old Testament God was full of wrath. Jesus flipped tables. But we often use those examples as excuses for our own flawed anger, our human anger, which does not produce righteousness. So be a good listener and figure out what is exactly going on at the heart level before you speak or get mad or contribute to the Facebook comment section. James goes on to say in verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Dang. So part of being a good listener is applying what you heard to your life, right? You don't get heaven points just for listening to a sermon on Sunday and then not taking it to heart. Be hearers and doers. Which brings us to the sixth identity I want to discuss, which is faithful worker. Oh man, faith and works, how do they all connect? Paul in Galatians says a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. But James in chapter 2 verse 26 says faith without works is dead. Are they contradicting each other? No, we must have both. If we just have faith, it's like winning a million dollars and not doing anything with it, just hiding it in a bank account. If we just have works, what on earth are you spending your money on? Where did you get the money? None of this makes any sense. But faith and works together, your faith in Jesus encourages you to want to love and serve his children. That million dollars was a free gift. You did not have to work for it. But now that you have the gift, use it to feed the hungry and clothe the poor. Don't just send up thoughts and prayers, but get out there and see how you can serve the community. Not just the community of believers, but every Imago day on this earth. In James, the two examples he gives of faith and works going together are Abraham, father of the Israelites, and a very obvious choice, and then Rahab, a female prostitute who acted as a spy for Joshua. Jesus wants all of us to be faithful workers for him. Number seven is influencer, which is a hot identity right now, but not in the way James means. Chapter three is all about taming the tongue, which James says is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. My gosh. Seems a bit harsh, but then he goes on to say, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. It's that kind of lukewarm Christianity that God wants to spit out of his mouth. How can I love God but hate my neighbor? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that's a deep issue. And because we struggle with this, because we often let gossip or unclean words pass through our lips, James says many of us should not be teachers because leaders have a greater sphere of influence and are held to a higher standard. But take a look at your life. Even if you are not a teacher or a pastor, do you have a sphere of influence? Do you have kids or younger siblings or social media followers who are listening to what you say? I'm going to take a wild guess and say that you do. So be extra careful of what you say. Be extra careful of what content goes into your brain and your heart. Be extra careful of how you are influencing others. The next identity is peacemaker. Later in James 3, it says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This connects to what James already said about being quick to listen and slow to speak. We do not have to give in to our flawed human anger. He continues in chapter 4 saying most of the fights and quarrels among us are because we are covetous people. We have desires, and if they are not met, we get angry. Our desires are not met because we either don't go to God to fulfill them, or we do not align our desires with his heart, so our motives are wrong. 
We may try to be peacemakers in the world, never saying no and never standing up for our beliefs, just for fear of confrontation or hopes that someday the world will be fixed. But the key here is we need to submit ourselves to God. The world will always be messed up. So make peace with God, the creator and savior of the world, and then make peace with his people, so as not to stir up even more trouble. James tells us to humble ourselves, speak kindly of our neighbors, and leave Jesus to be the lawgiver and judge, which we'll talk more about in a second. For now, let's talk about identity number nine, which is missed. Another weird one that we might not get excited about. James 4.14 says, You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. He instructs us not to boast about the future because we have no way of knowing what will happen. Only God knows, and it's all in his hands, so we might as well not worry about it. I don't think James is telling us not to make plans. He's just telling us to invite the Lord into those plans. He says we ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Matthew 6.34 says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So embrace the mist. Know that we are only here on earth for a short time. These troubles we are dealing with now will seem so small compared to eternity with Christ. So let go of your plans and your boasting and your worrying and let God handle it. James uses a lot of farming and harvest metaphors, as do many writers in the Bible. So the next identity I want to discuss is farmer. In chapter 5, he tells us to be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at your door. Again, James is instructing us not to fight with each other. On this read-through, the book sounds more and more like a parent scolding misbehaving siblings. He wants us to be patient and hardworking and giving like the farmer, tending to his crops, waiting for rain, and sharing his harvest. Notice he also again tells us not to judge. We are not called into that profession because that's Jesus' job. He's the only one who can save us, so he's the only one who can condemn us. Yes, if your friend is struggling and falling away from Christ, we are called to correct and train them in righteousness, but we are not called to judge. So let go of that work and pick up a rake or a shovel and get in the dirt until Jesus provides his glorious reign. The last identity I want to talk about today is a big one, a prayer, which I realized may not even be a word. Apparently, the technical term is precant, which I have never heard in my life, and in fact, my Google Doc is underlining it in red. So we'll say, one who prays. James chapter 5 instructs us to pray in the good times and the bad. He calls us to pray for physical and spiritual healing. He tells us to pray in community, confessing our sins, and receiving help from others. My friends and I started a Bible study in high school, and our key verse was James 5.16, which says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. All of these identities we discussed today, the good and the not-so-good, mean nothing if we do not have an intimate and intentional relationship with God, and that comes through prayer. Pray in the morning and the evening. Pray on your drive to work or while you're brushing your teeth. Pray through scripture or song lyrics. Scream at him or simply whisper his name. Ask God those hard questions you've been wrestling with. 
Tell him about your new discs you're excited to try out at the disc golf course this weekend. Admit to him when you mess up and ask for his forgiveness. Thank him for all the blessings he's given you. Praise him for just being God and for sending his son to take on all our negative identities so we may become whole and clean and pure in his name. Thanks for joining me for 11Zs. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review, subscribe, tune in each Thursday, and tell your friends. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at kdsubcreations, and check out my blog and other free content at the link in the description. Now go where you must go and hope.